Welcome to episode 106 of the Steady On podcast, Teaching Children Truth, with me, Angie Bauman, and my guest today, Sarah B. Anderson. Sarah is a ministry leader, author, speaker, attorney, and Christian apologist, and that's a lot of hats, and I guarantee there's more to Sarah than what I just listed. But what I'm most drawn to about Sarah is her dedication to being smart about who God is and her intentionality about teaching that truth to others, especially to young people. You don't need to have children in your home to be an instrument through which God can grow the faith of a child. Children are watching for examples of people who imperfectly live their lives in the light of God's love and grace. They may not be able to articulate what they're looking for, an overflow of the love of Jesus Christ, but they know it when they find it. And our job as believers is to live our lives so that they find it in us. Which is why I clung to Romans 12, 2 that Sarah mentioned during the conversation. Here, the first part of it from the NIV. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are so many voices calling to us, but if we live our lives to be a witness to others, we must take care of our spiritual health. How are we intentionally connecting to Jesus so his words, his promises ring louder and stronger than everything else that's calling to us. Sarah's gonna talk through a few acronyms as she helps us understand how we can take steps towards being a stronger teacher in the lives of those whose spiritual walk is younger than ours. And those acronyms and tips, as well as Sarah's website filled with additional encouragement is all listed in today's show notes. Let's listen in. Hello, friend, and welcome to this Steady On podcast episode. I'm Angie Bauman, and with me today is Sarah B. Anderson. Sarah, welcome to the Steady On community. Hi, Angie. I am super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm already excited about this conversation. Sarah is a ministry leader and an author and a speaker and an attorney and a Christian apologist, which we're going to get into in just one second. And her passion is helping parents raise the next generation of faith. And before we even get into that, who are you raising? What is your, what does your family look like right now? I have five children ranging. Whoa. In, yeah, exactly. Five <laughs> children. And when you hear the range, then that'll be another. So four all the way to 17. So I have wow. school and then one in almost graduating from high school and then everything in between, uh, another, a freshman, uh, a sixth grader and a kindergartner in addition to those two. So five children. Yes. And a dog. We just got a dog last year. Which that, that was, <laughs> I don't know how to explain that, that decision. <laughs> we won't go into that. <laughs> so do you have a senior then is your oldest junior. a senior? So a junior. Be, yeah. So she has a year and a half. Left. Okay. So my oldest is a senior. So I'm experiencing sort of all those lasts this year. And it's been really interesting what it's done inside me as I've watched him travel this, uh, this go through this journey today, this year. I think that's a really good paradigm, like shift to our discussion today is to really imagine the last mm -hmm. with our children so that we can really intentionally be in the first with them. I love that. I'm glad that you said that. No, I love that. Well, and I want to say right before we even get started is that we recognize that not everyone is a parent. Not everyone is raising children in your home right now. Maybe you've done that already. Maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're single, maybe you don't have children in your life. But uh, I, I was saying before we pressed record, I think if we're breathing, there are children that are looking at our lives. And as people of faith, there are children in our churches and our circles, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, you know, all kinds of things, children that we have the opportunity 
uh, to pour into and to witness to in terms of what our faith means to us. And so I'm excited about having this conversation. And so talk to us just a little bit about what is a Christian apologist? What does that mean to you? So a Christian apologist, you don't have to be a Christian, you don't have to be a Christian to be an apologist. There's apologists of lots of different disciplines, right? They argue for, they defend whatever position that they have or whatever, um, I guess, discipline that they're in. But for Christian apologists, we defend the faith. That's the basic. It comes from the Greek word apologia. And that was, it really had nothing to do with Christianity at the time. It was just, if you were in court, you know, you'd have to create a defense for yourself. And so uh, now that has been just as a lot of Greek and Latin words have, we've adopted them for different things. And so a Christian apologist, we really feel strongly about articulating reason for our beliefs. We want to know why we believe what we believe. They have been around forever. Thomas Aquinas was a, you know, back in the middle ages, a Christian apologist. I don't know that they would have, maybe they didn't call themselves that at the time, but it's really become important in this day and age. And I know we'll get into that. Yeah. And it, you know, it's not, you don't have to be super intellectual to do it. It's just really knowing why you believe what you believe. I would say it the simplest. Really knowing why you believe what you believe. I like that a lot because I will say like the idea of defending the faith or being in court and stuff, it has sort of a intensity around it that kind mm -hmm. of makes me actually pull back just a little bit. Like, oh, I don't, I don't like arguing. Right. Yeah. And so like, I don't like debating. I'm like, oh, you can have it. It's fine. I'll just, you know, I surrender. <laughs> I don't yeah. like competition. I don't like those things for myself, like, you know, to be, but, uh, but the idea of actually just having a deep understanding of mm -hmm. this is my truth. That's what I hear you saying. This is my truth. And I'm willing to testify to that anytime that it's, you know, that I get a chance to do so. So yeah, I'm great. And I think you're probably working to raise your children to have that deep understanding of their faith as well, which is kind of what we're going to get into. But you talk about five tips of teaching truth in the face of cultural lies, mm -hmm. and we're going to get into those. But before we do that, I want to ask you, what are some of the cultural lies you think that we need to be teaching truth uh, in, in the face of, if you will? Yes. Well, there are lots of different cultural lies today, right? But there are some umbrellas of these cultural lies that we can kind of put in our back pocket to understand big picture. And that helps us maybe recognize them when we come up against them. And I would say the number one is naturalism and naturalism is basically also called materialism. I guess you might've heard that it's really an arrogant kind of stance for humans to think that what we experience is all there is. So it's based on me. If I can touch it, if I can see it, if I can smell it, if I can taste it, they already say, see the five senses. <laughs> anyway, all of those, that is the material world. If you can measure it, then it exists. If you can't, and this, oh, there's so much we can talk about with this. So I won't get into it with the scientific method and how that's evolved and everything, but materialism, naturalism is a false religion. And you see a lot of the environmental stuff coming out of that. And it's really wonderful to be a good steward of our environment. We want to do that. That has nothing, but when it rises to the level of an idol, right? That is in it supplants God and his control and his sovereignty and his plan, because he's has the final say that is when it is a danger to our children's worldview. And they're going to hear about naturalism in science, in the school system. They're going to hear about naturalism on TV, on the documentaries. They're going to hear about naturalism. Well, evolution is one out uh, product of naturalism because it says that 
it could not have come from a metaphysical, all-powerful being outside of the universe, right? It, that steps in and creates it. They say it has to exist, come from nothing. Mm-hmm. One molecule then that evolves from chaos into order somehow, you know? So anyway, that's the gist of naturalism. The other one I would say we need to really prepare children against is secular humanism. And that, I guess there's a lot of naturalists who are secular humanists and vice versa. Some of these overlap in their ideologies, but uh, secular humanism basically says that the humans are sovereign and there is no God. And so what we can glean from our, our progress, that's as good as it's going to get. They even have a manifesto, the secular humanist manifesto actually several versions of that manifesto, because as we know, humans are fickle and change and are limited in our knowledge. God is all-knowing, omnipotent, omnipresent, and unlimited, right, in his knowledge. So uh, while Christianity in that worldview stays the same, secular humanism has to have several versions of their quote-unquote Bible, because as they figure more out, which in my definition of my definition of progress, as we discover more things, it's actually leading us closer to God, right? Because it's showing the the great designer, the intelligent designer behind it all. But they see that as humans getting better and farther away from God. And so it really is dangerous. Secular hum- humanism is really a dangerous ideology because it's also seeping into the school systems. They actually advocate or recommend indoctrinating school age children with a neutral knowledge, right? A neutral ideology, which is actually not neutral at all, because it just says the opposite of what the Bible says and says, you know, about humans being the center of all things and the ability to figure it all out. Go ahead. No, I was just, as I'm listening to you talk, the one thing that I think that this answers that we struggle with as believers, or even as like seekers to lack a better word, but those, you know, um, interested in what God is in the world and what he is in my life is this idea that we have to wrestle with the mystery of faith. And that's so uncomfortable to us that we're looking for, uh, solid answers. I mean, would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. that? That this is some of the, this is some of the product of needing a more definite understanding instead of having this ability to say, I don't know it all, but I believe that there's a, this being, if you will, that does know it all. And I put my trust in his knowing rather than in my own. Right. Exactly. You said it well. It's we, just so, it's so uncomfortable. It's just so dang uncomfortable. Yeah. We don't want that. It's control. I said, yeah, actually, because yeah. I came up with a, a sin kind of feeling for each one of these. And I think I, I said that for naturalism, it's really arrogant, but secular humanism is control. Really, we humans really want control and that's really what it stems from, you know? And so the next one is postmodernism after the enlightenment, which is that, gosh, the 1700s, really, uh, it was when we started shifting our paradigm about all the sciences and how we discover things and shifting away from the metaphysical. Um, we, there came an era called modernism and that was basically prove everything. We can find the truth, which will be in the material world. They thought, you know, and we will be able to measure it and prove it. And then end of story, we can move on with our lives. We'll know everything. And of course that turned up to not work at all. And they realized they couldn't prove anything that they wanted to. I mean, some things, right. But I mean, let's just give an example, Newtonian physics. We learned about that in high school. That is absolutely discarded now. 
there is new discoveries that say even those things, a lot of what he discovered has been supplanted by new discoveries. And you would not, you know, that's crazy to think that what we learned in our textbooks as absolute truth is no longer true, you know? So, so this postmodernism then came out of the modernism. So if you can't prove truth in the material world, meaning absolutely everything will boil down to what they can find and prove, then nothing is true. So postmodernism says that nothing is true. And we're suspicious of anyone who says, especially the Bible, that it's the absolute truth. Well, truth by definition is exclusive. You can't have no truth, right? You can't even have my truth or your truth or a subjective truth at all. We used to call those opinions, but now we call them my truth, you know, because it's a more, it's a, it's a harder stance. It's, it's harder to fight against someone's truth. You know what I mean? It's easier. It's easier to say, well, that's just your opinion, which is what it is. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say about postmodernism is that it's really based in stubbornness and pride because we basically threw up our hands and threw the baby out with the bathwater and said, if we can't prove everything, then we'll prove nothing. There's no truth. And that's really bad because we see that in a lot of subjectiveness to our interpretation of reality instead of on that solid foundation of God's truth. And so these cultural lies really stem back to these sins of arrogance and control and pride. Is mm-hmm. that, is there more? Is there another one? Uh, do we have time? I, yeah. have a couple more. I don't know. I could, you go on to, for the server. I, let me talk. Um, yes, that is yes. basically, I mean, I yes. talk about here quickly pro secular. Yeah. You'll yeah, never, it was so shocking to me when I was studying for my master's of divinity that post secular is a thing and you don't hear a lot about it. I, but after postmodernism, and they can't prove anything. And they realized, wait a minute, that doesn't really make sense. That's illogical. They've been called out on that. So now, and this is also dealing with our, the youth and the lack of hope and the emptiness that's there. We, they are looking for an experience to lift them out of this reality. And we would get that definitely from Christianity and the Holy Spirit, right? However, they don't have that. And so they are looking for experience and they get it through different kinds of spirituality, right? That Satanism psychedelic drugs, drinking, sex, pornography. This is a, an experience. They feel something, right? And this is leading us to post-secularism where everything is spiritual. So it's just like coming full. So now we're back to the ancient Near East, right? Where the Israelites were surrounded. They were the only ones uh, worshiping the one true God and, and the Egyptians and everyone else around them in the ancient Near East were, were doing rituals to appease multiple gods, you know, and that they had no control over. An example would be if, and this is hypothetical, but if they would sacrifice a baby and it rained, they'd be like, that's, that's why. Yeah. Oh, our ritual now is we need rain, sacrifice a baby. You know, now I'm not saying that they're necessarily doing that in the post-secularism, but they are looking for these connections in the spiritual world. And really what they're doing is conjuring up demons, right? They're looking for a spiritual experience that like helps them feel something, takes them out of reality, but also that makes connections for them. Since now postmodernism has basically been debunked. Modernism has been debunked and really, and we won't get into this today, but like the enlightenment, while that did help us progress a lot of what is based from that, like evolution is really being effectively called into question. And so what is the sin that you would attach to that? 
I said selfishness. Selfishness. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which again, kind of everything stems from pride, right? Arrogance stems from pride. Control stems from pride. Mm-hmm. Stubbornness stems from pride. And so does selfishness. Yeah. Yeah. And I had one more and that's Marxism and that's the concern for social justice. And 36% of Christians believe ideas associated with Marxism. And we think, oh, that's not really, that's a political, that's a government thing, but it really has become a false religion that we have to really um, warn our children against how it's the, that's not the, the proper alternative that they, cause they have this compassion in them and they think we want equality. We want, um, on every level, but that is not, if, when you delve deep and we won't get into that, that those are not the appropriate responses to that good feeling of wanting, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone to be treated fairly. It actually ends disastrously. Hey friend, I'm cutting in right here to ask you a couple of questions. Do you ever have a heart that is heavy? Do you ever connect with words like ashamed, heartbroken, insignificant, afraid, lonely? Of course you do, because we all experience those emotions from time to time. Susie Crosby is my friend, and she is the co-host of the Bible Talk bonus episodes that drop about once a month here on the podcast. And she and I have joined together to produce a podcast miniseries called Covered, Promises of Hope for Your Heavy Heart. Within each episode of this mini-series, we will dive deep into one of those words that I just rattled off, and we'll use personal stories, Bible stories, and God's promises from Scripture to cover you with His merciful hope for whatever situation you are facing. In addition to those five episodes, you'll also find in the mini-series two bonus episodes. Those will be with our ministry friend, Haley Wood, and Haley will share her story of abuse and trauma and loss and wandering and how she learned and is learning to stand firm on the promises of God that help her take steady steps forward. The link to claim this mini-series is in today's show notes, and when you subscribe, all the episodes will appear in the podcast directory of your choice. Thank you for listening. Now, back to our show. So I'm going to circle back on these because I, because, and you've said this throughout as you've been talking about this, uh, but like caring for our environment is a good thing under the umbrella of understanding it's God's already caring for other people and wanting social justice and equality and fair treatment is a good thing under Mm -hmm. the umbrella of understanding it's God's right. And we are to submit to his will and his ways and do, do this social justice in a way that aligns with his teaching and living out the greatest commandment, right? This idea of wanting to experience something and have a feeling is an indwelling of the Holy. We're created to want that kind of connection and passion and fire and under the umbrella of the indwelling of the Holy spirit. And so I think it's very subtle because that's what the enemy is good at. It's very subtle because it mimics, it looks like it maybe um, smells like almost like this, a a spiritual experience, like you're saying, and it is often motivated by uh, desires that he has placed in us, but we are misplacing them in what and how we're trying to fulfill them. And so with all of that, and thank you for that education. That was really, really helpful in all of that. In light of that, now, now we're scared. <laughs> now we're yeah. a little bit scared, right? How do we day by day help our children understand that our truth, I will do that, right? You know, yeah. but our, no, uh, but the truth that we embrace is that all of our life needs to be under this umbrella of who God is in 
in the world, but who he is in this, in this home, if you will, or in this, in, in our lives, in our hearts. So talk to us about how do we teach our children that? Well, this is probably the the biggest privilege that parents have, right? If you are a parent or you're a mentor, you have a child in your life, if you volunteer at church or you have a neighbor, you have opportunity, right, to mold a child's heart in any way. Parents have the ultimate delegation of authority by God. So that's foremost in a family who needs to really take the the bull by the horn, so to speak, and and take hold of that authority that they've been delegated. I like to call it roar. We roar for our children when they're young. And that's, you have, I'm probably going to mess this up right now, but um, you you have the opportunity because of proximity with them. You, uh, you have the right. That means it's a good thing. And you have the right, you have the authority from God delegated to you and you have the responsibility to do it. So we roar, you know, we're, we are the advocate. So I split it into 12, two sets of 12 years. We have the first 12 years and we have the next 12 years. And both of those are critical to raising our children to know the world or to know the Lord, not the world, meaning worldview, form their worldview biblically right. on a, a biblical foundation, right? Opposite of what I just said. <laughs> I was combining worldview and, and we're with you. <laughs> you got me. I'm so glad. Um, and so the first 12 years are key because there is a window, a shrinking window, a teeny little window that goes by like that, you know, because you have a senior this year, um, to form our children's assumptions about the world. If we think of a grid and you can, you know, when you in Excel, you can put in different, uh, variables and then some boxes are bigger than the others. And some are little, depending on what you put in. Well, our mind as as babies from birth until about age 12, we are determining what boxes are bigger than the others. We're putting in those variables, those formulas. And for our children, we are doing that for our children. If we laissez-faire, if we take our hands off and let the world do it, they'll have their boxes formed, their grid formed, but it won't be according to the Bible's truths. It will be according to the world. And we know who's in charge of the world, not, you know, who has been delegated or given authority over the world for a time. And so he's trying everything he can, the enemy is, to form our children's grids to reject the truth of the Bible. The ability to form their grids is from about age. And this is what I mean to be saying is their worldview. It's their assumptions about reality, how they view reality, how they understand it to work. That will be formed from age zero until about age 12. Then it solidifies. Mm. And it can be changed. Of course, we know God can do anything, but it is much more difficult and they will carve new ideas or ideas about God to fit into mm-hmm. whatever their grid was. And so they might accept a little bit of Jesus, but they accept a little bit of the world too. You know, yeah. it's much harder to have a strong biblical worldview to, to defend or to withstand the lies, the cultural lies. So the I, first, can I pause you right there for yeah. a second? Cause I imagine two things are happening. One, the mom who might have littles at home is leaning all in because she's like, I'm right here. What do I need to do? And the mom whose kids are already past 12 is like, maybe I've already messed it up and there's nothing more that I could do. Would you speak to that mom? That's a little bit like discouraged right in this moment, as you've said, kind of said that 12 age ish yes. thing. And I actually split it up for our discussion too. Oh, I have tips. awesome. Yeah. I have tips for the first and I have tips when you get to that other for the next 12 years, because it's never too late. Yes. It's, and I want to speak to the moms who are frustrated or, or a little worried now, maybe they dropped the ball. It's never too late. 
you always will be there. You'll never, even though after age 24, it's your, your influence over their, their life decisions is really You're a consultant, not a manager. I say, exactly. <laughs> I already with my son, I'm like, I'm a consultant at this point, really not a manager. Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, and actually from, from over age 12 until 24, even you're, you're a counselor mm-hmm. and then you become yeah. a consultant. Right. right? <laughs> so, yeah. And so your parent in this, that's why it's important. If you are still in those years, I want to speak to you so that you don't miss them. But if you have passed them, it is never too late. And there are ways to get that back and to reorient. It might take a little bit more, but you can do it. And it's, it's not impossible at all. In fact, God, first of all, prayer, God will move mountains. So we'll talk about that. Okay. All right. Take us through your tips then. Yes. Good. Okay. So I like acronyms a lot. It just makes it easy. So I want to visualize for this first 12 years, I, I say no to toe. And so no is just no. And then toe is T dot is the acronym O dot W dot. Um, and so no, we, we go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, I think it's verses five through nine. I should probably pull that up here. Um, and it says, uh, that we have to know the parents So it's speaking to the parents, right. And parents are to know first the scripture and, and hide them in their heart before we do what I call by the way training, by the way, meaning not like a second, a uh, second thought, but on the road to life, you know, as you're going through life, eating breakfast, going to bed, going to work, going to school on a walk, going to a play date, all those little moments are by the way, you know? And uh, so we want to do that. So you want to know, so it's, it's the, we've all heard the metaphor of the oxygen mask when we get on the airplane, right. And yeah. parents, and it says, you know, put your oxygen mask on first parents, because then you're able to help your children. So we have to imagine that that oxygen mask is the word of God and knowledge of, of how the Holy one works. And so we want to put our oxygen mask on first so that we can then appropriately and effectively feed our children the truth. So that's what no means. No is for us as parents. If we're not already in the word, if we haven't already actually accepted Jesus, that is the first step because the Holy spirit is our teacher. And we can't get the Holy spirit until we've accepted Jesus, but that's not something that's something that you have to do naturally when you're called by God. So it's also not a check the box kind of thing. You know, it's a relationship. And that's the other thing you really, in this training for knowing you know, I mean, please know this is a relationship with a living God who loves you, who has sacrificed to redeem you. He's forgiven you. I mean, the love is so deep and it might be hard to kind of absorb that depending on what your background is, but that is why you can come to him at this moment in your life. You know, you're clearly over this second stage too, right? You can come to him and he will reveal himself to you, you know, come to him with open arms, a willingness to learn and to know him and pursue that personal relationship with Jesus. That's the key. And that's what we're going to pass on to our kids. Ultimately. Um, I love that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. That's what I was. I, was saying. I love that, by the way, kind of idea because you know it's funny in our house because sometimes I will like overreact to something or something will like stir something, a trigger, you know, something like that. And the kids, it's like funny, not funny, but they'll be like, oh, "It's mom's trauma brain," like mm-hmm. and that and like because we know because I'm open about my struggle, yes. you know, and and so and sometimes I laugh, I, I do laugh about it because I'm glad we're open about my struggle. But what I also know is my boys see me day in and day out how I speak to that and how I use scripture and worship music and my relationship, my intentionality to stay connected with Jesus. 
And that I think is, that's the, by the way thing in this house, you know, where it's like the system thing that mom really struggles with, it doesn't go away. It's not an easy journey for her. And we see how she continues to want to be more gentle, how she wants to be more patient, how she wants to be kinder to herself and where that comes from is her connection with Jesus. And so I think sometimes that speaks to our kids as much, if not more as sit down right here. I want to teach you this verse of scripture, right? Um, it's an ongoing thing that they see evidence of in our lives. Amen. You said it so well, you know, I visited a preschool yesterday for my son and we're going to hold him back for kindergarten just because, and this wonderful preschool had a, just a great philosophy. And she said, it's play-based learning at this Mm. age. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Children learn best when it's at their level, Mm -hmm. when it's, when it's, is that called kinesthetic? When you're actually doing something at the time that you're at the same time that you're teaching them. Okay. Yeah. It's not sitting down, stay still one, two, three on your paper. One, number one, accept Jesus. Number two, you know, Mm -hmm. be baptized. It's, that's not the kind of way that gets, that's not the kind of learning that gets deep into their hearts. Right. Yeah. And so we want to do the, by the way, like you said, and mm-hmm. every moment and, and reinforcing it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So no, so no, no, no. And know him personally and know the scriptures, know the truth. And that means get a Bible, right. And reach out to him. He's personal. He wants to know you. He loves you. He already knows you. He wants you to want to know him, right. He's reaching out for you. So then the T so then we're going to go through speaking. So we, it's by the way, right. And so speaking, um, we have to be intentional. So it's speak to the T is two. So we're going to speak to over and with that's the toe. Okay. We're going to speak to over and with our children about the truths of the Bible. Now that it's into our heart and, and start doing this even before, you know, right. Cause the best way to learn is by teaching, right. And doing. And so you're going to possibly come along your child, you know, with your child and learn if it's not and, and grow in your relationship with Jesus, if it's not, if you're not quite where you want to be yet. So you're going to speak to your children proactively. Like you said, what you, your example that you just gave is the speaking to your children, right? It doesn't have to be the formal teaching, but it's talking about bringing up Jesus and every experience that you have brushing your teeth. Isn't it wonderful? The guy gave his teeth that are so strong, you know, but lips that are so soft, you know, it's like they have two different, like things like that, just explaining the natural world to them, but also our trauma and his forgiveness and his love It's because they're going to, life's not easy. They're going to have struggles too. All that. So we want to speak to our children and then speak over our children. This cannot be emphasized enough. We must pray for our children and we must speak truth over them and life over them. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And what we say to them, if we're brushing their hair, getting them ready in the morning, speaking, God loves you. Uh, You are a child of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a purpose, you know, your gift of faith, all these wonderful things that are in the Bible that he speaks to us. These are love letters from God to us. We need to speak that love letter back to our children and over our children. And what are we doing when we are speaking that over our children? We are engaging in spiritual warfare because guess what? We're not fighting. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're not fighting that teacher or that friend or that mom or that TV personality or the social media influencer. We are fighting the enemy. 
right. And all his minions. And I, I would, I would suggest we're infusing them with a piece that doesn't come from other things that they're learning. And so when in, in times of uh, struggle, you know, mind, hearts, you know, social, when the things come up, they will remember the moment when we spoke over them as we were getting ready in the morning, that they are perfect, beautifully and wonderfully made and that mm-hmm. they are loved and they will remember that. And the feeling that they had when that, that was being spoken over them and they'll want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are loved mm-hmm. this, this uh, trial or tribulation that they're going to through when maybe we're not there, mm-hmm. the adversity that they're experiencing, they have, they're anchored in God's love and God's truth. That's not going to, it's like a anchored boat doesn't get, you know, yeah. moved around. Yeah. And but we have to not- trust as parents, we're planting that seed and God will like, when they're not with us, he will remind them of that truth. I mean, I believe that with my boys so much that you, you plant something in there and you remind them and you and reinforce it, but then you have to let it go because the Lord loves them it infinitely more than we can and wants to bring that truth back up. He does it for us. Right. I mean, sometimes yeah. when we're struggling and then that, that precious scripture that we didn't think about earlier, but now it's just like on us and it's He works in their lives to remind them of what, what they're being taught. Yeah. I love that because isn't that the scripture that says we plant we water, but he makes it grow. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't that control that need. Remember we talked about that with some of the false world world worldviews. We want control. And we, a lot of times we even want control over our children to a fault. Oh yes. God will make it grow. But we do as parents, we have been delegated by God, this authority and the obligation to do certain things for our children. And well, there's so much grace, so much forgiveness, so much opportunity in second, third, fourth, a zillionth chances, you know, when we come back to him, um, and for our children, uh, he will not let any word that we speak to them or over them be void. It will not return void. It will bear fruit. So the more the merrier, right? right. And so the, the E, is that where we are now? Or the W the toe T O W. Oh, T O W. I'm thinking like like, I like the visual of like pulling them along in a way. I got it. I got it. (laughs) Yeah. They don't have to move. Well, we're doing heavy lifting at this time. So with this is discipleship, we're going to now speak with them, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's a conversation, like answer their questions and doubts. Doubts do not mean unbelief. Doubts are fine. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, We, we need to be okay with their doubts and not condemn them for that. And, but make sure that we have the answers, not just, well, we have faith. Therefore we believe because for them, they've got, and we'll get into this, but they have so much alternative messaging going on that they're like, that doesn't, that's not enough nowadays, right? It used to be enough because the society that we live in the Western world, for the most part, most people had the Christian worldview, right? And now they don't. So it's not like you can go to the neighbor and they're kind of living the same way. And the school systems live in the same way or believing the same things. Now it's like, and then social media in their bedrooms, in their private time, in their thought process all day long the, with the media world telling them something different. So we do need to go a little step further. We do have to engage their rational brain. And this happens through discipleship. So working it out with them, not just their doubts, but also in fun ways, like going to volunteer for the needy, like showing our children the ways of Jesus, like the love of Jesus to others, helping them be like Christ, you know? So yeah. Yeah. How do we help them connect with what we're saying? Yeah. How do we, how would we be a disciple? Yeah. Okay. So can you then tell us if, if our kids are, or if we have kids that are past those 12 years, how does it change? So now we change from their primary work. I guess we do the heavy lifting for them. We're pulling them right in the wagon to counselor mode. 
they don't want a, someone in their life that's, I guess you could call it breathing down their neck, even though that's never what we were doing, right? But that's how they they start to perceive. Might be what they're feeling. Yeah, it might be what yeah. they're feeling. They are moving in, into independence mm-hmm. and they're pulling away from us. That's natural. That's what they should do. Now, do they have the tools? What they're going to come across is a whole bunch of other kids doing the same thing, right? But with different worldview training. And so they are going, your children are going to be challenged. Their faith beliefs are going to be challenged by the teacher, by the peers, by the neighbors, everyone. And so you, what we have to do as their counselor and trainer, we never lose our authority as parents is to help them defend their beliefs at this stage. This is where, and it doesn't mean that we're arguing, right. Or teaching them to argue. It's absolutely not that it's with gentleness and respect. And this is what Peter says. It's always be prepared to have an answer, right? So it's not going into it and, Hey, this is, you know, being argumentative and ready for a a intellectual fight, you know, or a heart fight or a faith fight. It is, this is my, this is, I'm living the truth of Jesus and people will ask, or they will challenge them with gentleness and respect. They need to be able to have an answer. And that's why when we started this, it was, we want to know why we believe what we believe. So now what are the fruit of what the first 12 years of forming those grids, forming their worldview based on the Bible will come to fruition. But these are the years that will, they make the most choices that will affect the rest of their lives. Right. So what they do with that is important. That's why we're their counselor, we're still their guide. Mm -hmm. And so I just quick, I like, you know, working with things that are easy to remember. So the ways we can do that is help them discern, right? And we want to know, since we know the truth now, right? Because that's no to toe. Then the way to discern truth from false isn't to study necessarily the false religions as much as it is to know the truth. That's what the CIA does when they're talking about counterfeit bills. They don't study the counterfeit. They study the real deal. That's how they can know the counterfeit. So we help them discern. We help them detach from those things that don't match up with the real deal, right? Those aren't things that we want to follow. And that is really important. So I really like the scripture, Romans 12 too, right? To do not conform to the patterns of this world, but renew your mind. And so the conforming to the patterns of this world, the detaching is the not conforming, right? So we do. So when we say detach from those ideas that are not true, we are not conforming to them. We want to denounce. We want them to know and accept, not only just not conform to them, we want to accept that they're not true, right? So we denounce them. And then we want them to devote, devote to uh, renewing their mind. This is really just Romans 12 too. So we're going to devote to, and that means renew your mind. You got to keep going back. You got to keep going back to the truth to refresh and to, to make reinforce. So we're going to devote. And just one more thing I want to add for both stages, for both the first 12 years and the second 12 years are essential. And that is a desire. And how do you implant a desire in your children's heart? And we touched on this the first thing when you said, I have a senior. And I said, oh, that's so perfect because we, we the sadness or the whatever, the last that you're experiencing that every mom and dad is going to experience when they go leave the nest, it gives us perspective to the first, you know, the first 12 years and even the next 12 years, how important it is that there's an end you know, not just to their time in, in our, under our household and under our influence, but to everyone's life. What, where are we going from here? What's the purpose of this? If they don't have the desire I'm really getting to is the hope of Christ, the hope. If they don't have hope, it is the, if you teach your children, one thing it's Christianity and the biblical worldview is the only one that offers hope. 
that doesn't rest in your efforts because that's no hope at all. I can guarantee I'll mess it up if we're honest with ourselves. So hope, you must reinforce hope. Sarah, this has been just a wealth of really important information. And I'm so grateful for this conversation. And I always end on this question. And I wanted to know if you would give us just a peek into what you're doing right now. Uh, Is there anything that you're studying, using, listening to, watching that is uh, helping you in your spiritual connection with the Lord right now? Uh, On my ministry page, Fruits of Faith Ministries, and that's on Facebook and Instagram, but mostly on Facebook, uh, we are reading through the Bible. And so we will post devotionals. And I'm telling you, when I have to delve in enough to post a devotional, you know what I mean? Because you learn what you teach. Yes, you learn what you teach. And I'm and that has just been rich. So reading through the Bible, just from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we just got done with Job, people really resonated with Job. I mean, that is, you know, cause we all suffer, yeah. but I'm um, also, I'm reading, um, having a merry heart in a Martha world by oh, Joanna. Yes. And we're, we're doing that on, uh, there's a clubhouse little thing that I'm co-hosting, uh, before women B yes. and the number four women. And that has been really, uh, lovely too. So if anyone's on clubhouse, find us before women, but, uh, that book is the book that they're kind of highlighting for this first four months. And Joanna's book, Joanna's yeah. book, right. Having a merry heart in a Martha world. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Yeah. And, uh, it's really rich. So, and of course I just ordered an, and I have one, I have several, but apologetics, uh, study Bible and all that kind of stuff, because, because you can never have too much of that. You just cannot have enough of that. If there's any way that we can help fortify (laughs) my family, do you need another Bible? I'm like, yes, I might. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. My, my Bibles every every translation. I love it. I know. I know. And now I, you know, I have like the web pages and stuff where I can look at all the translations. So yeah, I know where to find that stuff. Sarah, uh, you are a a real source of encouragement in your understanding of like you, you do help us use the mind, you know, as, as you were saying earlier, just kind of wrapping our mind around some of the things that we're fighting because it isn't the world that we're fighting. It is the enemy. And yet the enemy uses what's in our world and what's in our culture to be the things that are teasing us away from the truth. And so it's very helpful to be a little bit more knowledgeable. Uh, I Sometimes I feel sort of ignorant and ill-equipped when I, I don't know. It wasn't like this when I was 17 or 12 or, you know, what. and so I feel sometimes very ill-equipped in that. And this helps me boil it down to, it's really about arrogance and it's about pride and it's about selfishness and it's, you know, and so, and to remember those things, because those things I do know, I know those well. So, yeah. So thank you so much for spending this time with us today. It is greatly, deeply appreciated. I appreciate being here. It's been lovely, always lovely to talk to you. So thank you so much. And friend, thank you for listening until next time. Peace. If you're at all concerned by what time has already passed, please remember that today is the perfect day to make a new commitment to become more intentional in your walk with Jesus Christ. When we connect with him over time, again and again and again, we absolutely will experience the transformation and the renewing of our mind. Hear Romans 12 2 again, this time in the NLT. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Next week, Darlene Larson from the ministry Hearts with a Purpose will be my guest on the show. She will share how God led her out of a 20-year-long emotionally abusive marriage and into a place where she clings to and stands on the faithful promises of God. 
If you have an extra moment today, please consider rating and or reviewing the podcast. That does a lot to help other people find us. And thank you so much for listening. I pray wherever your day takes you, you are walking in the confident knowledge that you are a beloved, cherished child of God. Peace.